And now it's time for Eastcast and reports from coastal stations. East at Sierra, West at Sierra, Southwest at Sierra, and North Northeast at Sierra. Wind Southwest, rain at times, good. Forties, fifties, sixties, Tyne, Dogger, German Bite, French Kiss and Swiss Roll, Westerly becoming cyclonic, good. Right here in London's East End. I'm reading at any level, any time, anywhere, and with anybody. Who are they? One might be your secretary, your doctor's receptionist, or a dancer in a go-go club. They're coming for you. Look, there comes one of them now. Now, 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 now. Hello and welcome to Eastcast. We are here as usual, reporting on the best in arts and culture happening all across East London. I'm Nia Charpentier and I'm here with the rest of the Eastcasters, Pearl Wise, Anna Xavier and Melanie Brown. And we have a great show today. Nia has been speaking to an East London brass band and this is what I've been up to. This is going to go into there and what you're going to do is you're unscrewing. There's a lock ring here. Yeah. This, the whole thing moves, right? So you have to use the other tool, the vice whip, to hold this still while you unlock this. So have, you used, have you used a vice grip before? Have you? <laughs> no. <laughs> but um, there was uh, Jenny Wazowski from East London's Bike Kitchen, and where they teach cyclists to fix bike problems on a drop-in session that they usually do. They taste just like runner beans raw. And they're absolutely super, but great in soups, great in teas, fantastic, wonderful plant, love them forever. There is an actual Be Nice to Nettles week in Britain. So you'll find out more about nettles and their value later on. Look forward to it. And we've also got a World Cup special East London pub guide. So that's where to watch the games, but also where to avoid them if they're not your thing. And music, Pearl, what have you got for us? I have a nice combo from bands and musicians playing in East London over the next couple of weeks. We can look forward to sounds from Angelo Badalmenti, Dawn Golden, Happiness, Sun Ra Orchestra, Connor O'Brien, and to kick off the show, let's start with Ellen and the Escapades playing all the crooked scenes.
That was all the crooked scenes by British folk band from Leeds, Ellen and the Escapades, who have been steadily gaining fans since uh, they were chosen to perform at the Reading Festival by the BBC introducing in 2009. Ellen and her gang will be at the Old Blue Last on Wednesday the 18th of June. So I do recommend that. It sounds like it's going to be a good gig. So I actually, Anna, I try and fix my own bike. Mm-hmm. But I think you've got a solution because I'm not very good at it. Yeah, well, true. Um, because I, I have the same problem, I started looking for places to fix it. So then I found London Bike Kitchen. Hi, I'm Jenny Gwazowski and I'm the director of the London Bike Kitchen. It started in 2011 when I decided my New Year's resolution that year was going to be to build up a bicycle. I had a frame and then I was like, oh wait I don't know what to do I don't know where to do it and I don't know how so I started doing research on looking for bike building classes and I couldn't find any and then my flatmate at the time was Californian and she asked if we had a bike kitchen here and I said what's a bike kitchen and so the more research I did into them the more I was like I could set that up for some reason and I did it took about a year but in March 2012 we opened up What was your motivation to create something like this then? I used to be a teacher and I also really like bikes and so I was just really juiced by the idea that I could maybe teach people how to fix their bike even though I didn't know how to at the time but I knew I could find people that would help. And plus it was different so I'm going to try. So now here we have three people four people plus you yeah fixing bikes yeah which is quite a small space but it can fit loads of bikes in here how many people do you actually have throughout the day coming in it varies uh on the weekends we get maybe eight ten people a day it just depends on what people are working on like two of these guys are actually building bikes from scratch all right um, and how long will that take that takes the whole day that takes eight hours sometimes more but hopefully not And uh, what are the main questions that people have when they come around? Like the most popular problem? Should we say, yeah. <laughs> Punctures. I think it's a really common problem. Most people are going to get one in their bike lifetime. And a lot of people, they, they want to fix it. And they get really surprised when they find out that we won't do it for them. But we'll teach people how to do it. So... That's what we do. It's strictly DIY. We actually send people to other bike shops when they don't want to do it themselves. Has that happened many times? Yeah, it happened today. Okay, and uh, I suppose that men would come in more than women. They do, yeah. But I've noticed it's changing. I think it's probably due to a lot of different factors that more women are riding bikes. We do a women and gender variant night where we try to teach the basics so that women's skill level and confidence levels will come up and then they can come in during a drop-in session. If you wanted to learn a lot of things in one go, we recommend taking our introduction to maintenance class in a six-hour session. Uh, we show people how to do basic maintenance on their bike um, and some repairs. There is a difference between maintenance and repair in that good maintenance will prevent things from breaking so you don't have to repair them and that's a 60 pound class and we have a couple of those scheduled every month we also do build your own bike class which is an eight hour session full day of 
taking your bike apart and putting it back together where we show you what tools you need to, to service and clean and put stuff back together. I'm Chris. I bought all the parts myself and then I just brought it in here because I wanted to have a go at building it myself and then learning something at the same time. Uh, and also when I've taken bikes to bike shops before to be built up, just take along all the parts, sometimes they don't do a proper job. And I think a lot of the bike shops in London are so busy, they have so many customers to serve, that sometimes they just rush things through. And if I build it myself here, at least I know that I'm doing a proper job. And then so, you know how to fix the problem. Then yeah, then exactly. And then I can learn the mechanical stuff as well, which normally you'd have to pay for extra to go on a mechanics course. So, I see. Double benefit. But uh, but yeah, it's been it's been really good today. I'm nearly finished now. How and long have you been here then? Since eleven. All right. Uh, but we got falafel for lunch, which was <laughs> one of the highlights. And someone came in earlier on with a weird hub on his back wheel, which I'd never seen before. I didn't know that kind of hub existed. You kick back on the pedals to change gear, which is insane. So um, yeah, it was cool. <laughs> What can you say after two years being in the business? <laughs> um, it's really hard work, but it's massively rewarding. Um, I've learned so much. I'm always learning new things every day. I make mistakes all the time, but it's fine because I'm learning. But on the cards right now, we're looking to change into a workers' cooperative so that I'm not the one that bears all the responsibility. All right, guys, so what do you think? I think it's, you know, it's always a good idea to be a bit self-sufficient, but I'm not sure how much money I'd, I'd actually save because if you have to buy the parts and... Yeah, but it's always cheaper. I think it's always cheaper if you have the skills mm. and then you spend that, that amount of money, but it's a lifetime of knowledge, you <laughs> see. Yeah, and if true. you just buy the parts, yeah. it's so much cheaper. Although I have to say, in my sixth form college, we had to do bike maintenance because I grew up in Cambridge and everyone has a bike. Mm. So we had to do that right. at school. But I don't remember any of it, so it's not really skills for life. Interesting enough is that um, when you go inside the shop, because it's so small, it's very, very friendly, and everyone's talking around and, and uh, sharing experiences and stories. And then on the walls, you have these uh, diagrams of kind of like... It looks like a, a, the bike exploded and you see all these parts like um, around and it's really helpful. So imagine you're you're fixing something and you just look at a key and like, I don't know what that is. So you just look at the at the board and, oh, that's... Um, the thing I like about this is often you just don't have the right tools at home. Yeah. I think I must come from a slightly engine-centric point of view because I just, I just look at these bikes and the, there's no kit on I mean, they're, they're not made of anything. I wonder what there is to actually fix. <laughs> Genuinely, like, there's no motorised parts. It's just a few cogs, a few wheels, and a few cables. I mean, come on. Compared to a motorbike, yeah. <laughs> the good thing to know is that, that in two years they helped over 1,000 people. Mm-hmm. It was really impressive. You know, just my w- walking around and suddenly find out, well, I touched the life of that person. <laughs> they now know how to fix a puncture. I think East like London, Hackney is probably the best place to have that kind of shop and yeah definitely and there's a lot of cyclists so. especially on that street so close to the canal so everyone will have to 
to cycle past it. They should start putting little tacks on the canal path and pop, put popping tyres. Two years ago, that happened already, actually. Um, the website is lbk.org.uk, and on the website you can actually find um, out when there's the next drop-in session available because they have the calendar on the website, which is really, really good. Just go online and check if there's available. You can just go and, and fix whatever you have to fix. So, yeah, for some music. This next track is from LA-based Dawn Golden, and he's another member of that kind of wave of mournful male singers who croon over melancholic electronic beats. Um, his album Still Life was released last month on uh, the Mad Decent label and also on Downtown Records. Um, not particularly a jolly affair, but per- uh, absolutely perfect if you're nurturing a, a bit of a case of the blues. But Dawn Golden is playing at The Waiting Room on Monday the 23rd of June. Um, and here's the title track from his album Still Life.
that was Still Life by Dawn Golden, which leads us very nicely with the sort of nature sounds uh, into the next piece. Um, a few weeks ago, I went to an open day at the Bethnal Green Nature Reserve, where I was told about this uh, the wonderful effects of weeds, um, rather than the weed that we all know about. Um, Michael Smythe from Phytology will explain more. So you don't have to fuss running around going, what's the dock leaf look like? It's not a dock leaf. You know, I've had people pulling out burdocks, I've had people pulling out hogweed, just because it looks different and it's near a nettle, okay? So just yank out the same plant that stings you and go to town on it and you won't, you won't cause a nettle any harm. My name is Michael Smythe and I am don't one of the producers the on the Phytology Project. It's a collaborative project between artists and botanists and herbalists and town planners. But most importantly, it's um, activating a piece of land in the heart of Bethnal Green that's been closed for a very long period of time and making a public space that people can come and harvest fresh medicinal herbs that are basically common weeds. So we're actually sitting in the phytology garden. It hasn't always been called that. Yeah, so the, the site we're on was originally called St. Jude's Park, I think, and then... St. Jude is the pension saint of lost causes or no hope. The local community thought it was more positive if it was called the Bethnal Green Nature Reserve and, and working with the idea of semantics and the idea of nature and reserve locally making people perceive the place differently. So the place is still called Bethnal Green Nature Reserve but we're presenting um, the phytology project within the Bethnal Green Nature Reserve. So phytology is... A, a project that's sort of existing in this footprint. So well, what's the Phytology project? Phytology is a sort of a long-term project looking at the role of medicinal weeds. What we've done is sort of decided upon a, a kind of a random number of 32 plants that have ongoing proven medicinal value and grown a meadow culture out of those. Um, things like dandelion or, or nettle or, I don't know, root-bought plantain or, you know, things you see but you don't really quite know its value and what it's used for. So we've grown a meadow culture of these plants. It's open to the public to come and harvest and, and also learn about what each plant does. In addition to that, we've sort of developed a lot of writing and illustrations of each plant. So if you come to us and, and have the time, you can actually research what plants do what and we'll show you how to harvest and use. Kind of a tradition that's been lost to kind of know what plants are for. There does seem to be regenerated interest. Why, why do you think that is? Um, I think for me anyway, it's as we become more urbanised and as cities like London become, you know, they're very intense kind of hard surfaced environments. I think people are more and more interested in alternative ways of living in them. So green spaces are becoming more important. Allotments are becoming more important. Ways to generate and grow your own food, and in our case, medicine, is also really important. The idea for us is food as medicine as well. So a lot of these plants have great nutritional value. So I think this project is kind of part of that wider conversation, I guess, people are having at the moment in urban environments all around the world, really. And how did you get involved? About... 10, 15 years ago I went on a, a, a walk with a herbalist in a, in a city, a city I used to live in and um, she narrated what all the plants that were invisible to me actually do and, and ever since it's really changed my perception of cities um, also I don't come from a horticultural background so I think combination of like developing the idea, finding the appropriate collaborators and 
the piece of land it does take time but equally that time taken has been a useful process to kind of understand what we're doing and working out if it works if it doesn't work how do we make it work what it communicates how it communicates and and also we've been here for a year before we opened just to kind of watch what happened on the site and nurture the meadow culture we're growing i suppose you needed to wait for things to grow yeah 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 yeah. and it does its own thing so we have to jump in occasionally and intervene and other times step back and go oh okay you're doing that okay good which is interesting um and now after a year of setting the project up here we're open to the public and now there's a whole other kind of conversation as to you know how much harvesting is too much harvesting what plants will need to be taken out because they're too dominant. So this is obviously the famous meadow that Phytology have, have been developing and this is really, really nice. There's so many lovely things coming on in here from the, the chamomiles to the comfries, there's poppies to, the, to explode in any day now. There'll be a blaze of colour in here. The Bethnal Green Nature Reserve has a massive fence around it and that makes the site invisible. So what you're getting is a lot of people who are just really quite blown away that this place exists, like this secret woodland and meadow land in the middle of like a, an area that it's completely unlikely to exist in. There are, a lot of them are locals who are kind of coming in wanting to explore and look around through that kind of engagement we're talking to people about the project. Then there are other people that are coming specifically for this. And it's really conversations about, you know, their health and nutrition and people wanting to just garden, but not in a way that is like the allotment culture or decorative you know they, a lot of people get the kind of wildness of this we're not claiming to be herbalists at all so you know we we provide a lot of information as well as the resources of the plants but it's really just been a lot about what people can do what are the limits and also people getting the confidence to kind of use these plants the meadow culture is quite unremarkable when you come in and see it like it's very beautiful because the chamomile and the poppies are flowering right now but um, it could just be any abandoned sort of piece of land which is very intentional lacking signage the shed and the library have all the information and the gardeners are on hand to do oral communication as opposed to sort of text heavy we've also got a, a residency with the nest collective um, doing the campfire club each month about song and storytelling and a collaboration with the Ministry of Stories who do great work with creative writing and poetry and fiction and so they're doing a, a residency over summer. So just looking at multiple ways to kind of communicate and work with kind of storytelling, I guess. Mm. Be it visual, um, be it oral, be it written. So just to get the kind of practical information in, people who want to visit... How does it work? What do they need to do? So we're open only two days a week on a Friday and a Saturday from 10 till 5. We're right between Old Bethnal Green Road and Bethnal Green Road. The site technically doesn't exist. So we're, we're telling people a postcode of a, an apartment block on um, Middleton Street. That will take you to the reserve. And really, people are just welcome to come in and look around and you know find the gardeners and ask questions and... Um, use the library and also just spend time here it's a very easy space to spend time you know we're always on site and open to dialogue so you know people are welcome to really come up and and ask questions and and help us out too we always need to harvest something so if you just want to 
step outside of Bethnal Green Road madness and come into this incredible nature reserve and harvest chamomile for the afternoon you're most welcome to. Whatever question I've ever had, the most random questions, Ken's always like, yeah, I know the answer to that. <laughs> so he's an incredible resource, an incredible thank you. support. Well, so yeah. thank you again. Very well, my pleasure. Cheers. Thank you. Well, enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so we're just going to have a five-minute break. So whilst listening to that, I was wondering, how would you actually define a weed? I would go for something <laughs> that would be something that wasn't that wasn't put there by men. It wasn't planted. Yeah, by it just men. grew naturally. Yeah. Okay, that's fair. That's fair. Well, I looked on the web that does not lie, but apparently it is a wild plant growing where it is not wanted. And in competition with cultivated plants. Mm. Oh, but these weeds are wanted. They're wanted. Yeah. So, yeah. so it's not a weed. Or it's having a crisis. <laughs> <laughs> but that sounds amazing. Yeah, and um, as you could hear, like you could hear all the birds singing, yeah. and it's really and the odd felt, car horn. <laughs> exactly, and it just felt like you're in this kind of other place, and you, you kind of forget about this housing estate that you're in the middle of really or you know you're kind of surrounded by trees and birds mm. and we just so tried to search it didn't we and it, it really doesn't exist on google maps no, yeah no it's just so, but a, it it's does like exist. a blank block just because it's not on google doesn't mean it so doesn't yeah, exist. the little snippets you heard were from a tour that i did of this guy who kind of explained um so as we went along he kind of picked up dock leaves and stinging nettles and told us what to do with them so yeah um dock leaves don't cure Nettle rash. What? That I found out. Yeah. So what can nettle, you do? Nettle. You have to. You, you kind of roll it up and rub the juice, nettle juice, and it and it cures your nettle rash. It's it's just worth going and just sitting there and being peaceful. Mm. Sounds definitely. lovely. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Great. Good find. A bit more music now. Every year, Cafe Otto regulars are whipped into a frenzy with their annual residency of 70s psychedelic jazz ensemble, the Sun Ra Orchestra. And Sun Ra is celebrating his 100th year. I don't know if he's actually going to, like, I don't, I don't know whether he's still alive. <laughs> I need to look that up. But saxophonist uh, Marshall Allen is definitely alive and he's celebrating his 90th year and he's going to be there directing the whole thing. Um, so this kind of semi-improvised chaos is happening over four nights. Monday the 16th, Tuesday the 17th and Wednesday, and th- Wednesday the 25th and Thursday the 26th of June. So if you're a massive fan, you can pay £75 and go f- to all four nights. But if you're a novice, I would recommend just the one because it's um, quite an experience. It's kind of intense. Um, so I'm going to play something, one of the more accessible uh, vocal pieces by Sunra Orchestra. Uh, this is Somebody Else's World. <laughs>
was Sun Ra Orchestra with Somebody Else's World. So nice, interesting selection of music as usual, Pearl. And actually, after the last show, uh, I went to Field Day last Sunday and I took your tip about Shy Nature and went to see them and um, liked them a lot. And they were sort of perfect soundtrack to a very sunny day. And we were basically had a blanket and stationed ourselves outside the Shacklewell Arms tent and didn't really move that much. So, <laughs> so we just got pissed. <laughs> it was perfect. Um, so now we delve into another kind of music, the world of the brass band. <laughs> I'm Dan Gibbons. I am the chairman of East London Brass. And how many members have you got? We normally have around about 30, depending on kind of other commitments. But as a contesting brass band, we need sort of 13 members to be on stage. And brass bands have their kind of roots traditionally in sort of 19th century kind of industrial communities. When we think of brass bands, often we think of, you know, factory workers up north. So... This is a bit different, isn't it? Quite. I mean, the the band itself was formed in something like 1890 as um, part of uh, the cooperative movement. So, uh, whether that's part and parcel of it being in the southeast, I'm not sure. Certainly, the kind of big boys in the brass band world are all kind of ex collieries or mills or uh, yeah, factories that sort of thing. So. But these days, do you get people from all kinds of backgrounds? Absolutely, yeah. It's a complete cross-section of society, really. We've got some very respected solicitors, um, you know, myself as an architect, um, a lot of teachers, um, nurses, all kinds of people, you know, housewives, um, that sort of thing. It's, uh, it's a real mix. Quite a few students come through as well, depending on sort of their commitments and uh, at university and that kind of thing, yeah. And what do people get out of it? Is it a sort of social thing, mainly? It is, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I would say that the kind of band is very much like a family. You sort of probably fall out with the members of the band as much as you fall out with members of your family, but um, it's a real sort of community spirit that we had together, performing together, and also when we do competitions, actually working together as a team to sort of perform as a competitive side. It's, uh, you know, very much like being a member of a sports club or something like that. Yeah. What kind of competitions? Well, uh, the brass band world is sort of divided a little bit like football in that there are a number of leagues or sections as we call them so down from kind of fourth section at the bottom which is probably you know the GM Vauxhall conference uh, up to the championship section which is uh, where East London Brass plays. Are you practicing for anything like that at the moment? We've got competitions in the autumn um, but fortunately the competition season is kind of finished for the summer so we're, we're going to have a, give them a little bit more free reign to do uh, our own thing. We've got a couple of bandstand performances coming up and uh, we'll be having a couple of concerts uh, here in the church where we rehearse as well. Do you stick to the kind of traditional? It is a real mix. I mean, for a competition, then it will often be a specially commissioned piece. And for most of the competitions that count towards your league placing, then every band in your league is playing exactly the same piece to give a, um, an absolute uh, correspondence between them. But when it comes to the summer, then it's really our musical director's choice. And, and we do have a complete variety of, of people we can play from the traditional brass band marches and hymns through to the covers uh, you know the kind of classic pops so what's your favorite 
Uh, we have a very cheesy arrangement of the Star Wars theme, which is a little bit sort of like a disco version of it. It's terrible, but, um, but brilliant fun to play and always gets the audience going. So, yeah, probably that one. <laughs> and are you always on the lookout for new recruits? We're, we're quite lucky in that we have quite static membership, which is good because we can, um, we can train together and, and develop skills within the band. But at the same time, you know, people's life circumstances change. People leave to do different jobs and move out of town. So we've always got, you know, usually one or two spaces that we need to fill. And, uh, and generally we have kind of a vacancy slot on the website if, uh, if people are interested to see what current positions are empty. And what position do you play? I play Cornet. Um, uh, I play uh, as a back row cornet, so I'm the third cornet, which is the sort of lowest cornet sound, which is kind of almost within the, uh, the kind of horns and trombones section. But, uh, yeah, still get a few bits of the tune. And how long have you been playing? Uh, I've been playing since I was about eight, nine years old, but took quite a bit of a break when I was at university because it's quite difficult to practice when you're in halls of residence. So uh, it was only really when I moved to London and realised I hadn't picked up my instrument for a long time that I thought I need to find a reason to play and um, looked on the internet for brass bands in East London and East London Brass came up as the first result, so, <laughs> surprisingly. And so where can people see you perform? Uh, well, here in uh, Trinity United Reformed Church, Walthamstow, whenever we've got a concert on here. Summer programme at the moment includes performance on uh, Hampstead Heath Bandstand, which I think is around the 10th of August. Uh, but if you're really interested in brass bands, then obviously the uh, London and Southern Counties area competitions in Stevenage are a great place to go and uh, spend a weekend. And if you're really dedicated, then Skegness in January will be performing as well. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, I'm going to come and join you and have a bit of a listen. So uh, Great. let's go and see some of the rest of the band. Okay. Thanks, Dan. I might have seen them actually because I spend rather a lot of time on Hampstead Heath um, and I've and I've heard a brass band play there and it's a lovely thing sitting I down think, in yeah. the sun I agree to... it's a big sound isn't it and it's uh... and well good use of um, bandstands like <laughs> yeah brass band like you know rather than teenagers drinking exactly yeah. like actually use them for what they're made for I think that's good yeah. It's always a treat if you're around. It's like, oh, hello. Let me have, <laughs> let's have a listen. And I was quite curious about the uh, Star Wars cover because obviously I am such a big Star Wars fan. Are you? I can actually <laughs> like listen and be like, ooh, interesting. So maybe if you're on Hampstead Heath and you see them, you, maybe you can yell out a request. <laughs> yeah, maybe. It'd be like, Beyonce. <laughs> <laughs> Do they Why do not? a Beyonce? I reckon, I reckon they, they might. probably do. 
Music. Bit of a different vibe. Okay. <laughs> it's electro, isn't it? Uh, no, actually. No. no, no, no. You'll like the sound. This is uh, Jangle Gaze. Obviously. Obviously. The trio Happiness with a Y are launching their self-produced debut album, Weird Little Birthday, at the Servant Jazz Quarters on Tuesday the 17th of June. And this, their sound has, has been described as jangle gaze. I have no idea what that means. <laughs> but I presume it's kind of shoegaze guitar music with jangly bits. I think it's just What's a countdown shoegaze? conundrum. Shoegaze is kind of like that indie guitar um, where the guys just look at their shoes because they're mumbling uh, into their beards. Yeah? Okay. Oh. Um, so actually, when you hear it, you'll kind of feel that jangle gaze is quite spot on um here's happiness with it's on you It's on you, and we were saying that when we heard that song, that it would be well. Anna was saying that it would be perfect for a, a kind of beer advert or something. Yeah, like I can that. perfectly imagine somebody just dancing around with a beer or a cider, depending on what you like. Not that we are kind of encouraging alcohol right Drinking here. Drinking is bad for you. No, on, no. on a Monday morning specifically. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I think it would be perfect 
for that. But I, I, I think they would be very happy if, if someone would do. And yeah, the, the, happy, the why would actually mean something. <laughs> <laughs> so we've got our usual listings coming up shortly. But before that, we thought we'd give you, given that it's sort of football silly season and it's now truly upon us, we thought we'd give you the lowdown on the best places to watch the footy from. Yeah, especially because uh, today we have a match near, right? We do, yes. <laughs> Portugal versus Germany. Uh-oh. Yeah, we were saying that. Actually, you know, the Eastcast uh, presenter crew, we're actually quite an international bunch. So, yeah. Anna, you're obviously yeah, Portuguese. Portuguese. Mel, who are I'd you going to be? Spain and England, but, you know, matching the blood the blood mixture. Yeah. Pearl? So, yeah, I've got three to choose from. Um, France, Italy and England. And I usually support England until they get knocked out, and then I support Germany because I'm half German. So... Um, you same know. as Spain yeah <laughs> fact wait a minute same with everyone <laughs> thought we'd um, run through a few pubs where you can watch the footy but you know if it's not your thing also some pubs that won't be showing it so you can get away from it if you want so first up um, we've got a few in Dalston so the Marcus of Lansdowne you know just a pretty ordinary normal pub where you can uh, and they've got a pretty big screen in there uh, then birthdays in Dalston as well, and also the Skult Head. They've all got you know big screens there. And then uh, Bar Kick in Shoreditch. I like Bar Kicks. I think it's especially good this one because it has loads of foosball tables, oh, so yeah, you can kind so, of get yeah, into the spirit of it. Gets pretty packed. You can do a preparation yeah, for true. it. Yeah, you need to be really early. But I've, yeah. I've watched games downstairs in Shoreditch, and it's really nicer because you know it's not as packed as in the upper level. Mm, okay. So then it's just it's just a nicer place. But do come early, and it's yeah. international. Oh yeah, sure, yeah. and that of course. Uh, and then you've got the Star by Hackney Downs, which is in Clapton, and Ryan's on Church Street in Stoke Newington as well. So a bit of a selection there. Okay, so I want to avoid the football. So where okay. do I go? <laughs> <laughs> um, so we have uh, the Jolly Butchers in Stoke Newington. Great food there. Nice um, beer and cider selection as well, but no football. Uh, and then more sort of wine bar-y places, I think you can really steer clear of footy. So um, L'Entrepot in Hackney Downs and Fox Reformed, again, on, on Church Street in Stoke Newton. Uh, those two, yeah, more, more of a kind of wine bar. So that's it. <laughs> it's, it was actually much easier finding pubs where you can watch it, watch it than where you can't. But there's a few for you to choose one. Yeah, and I just have a feeling that the ones that say they're not going to show the football probably will end up showing it because they'll be empty. Empty. Yeah. <laughs> and no one, you know, they've got to do something about that. So, no, I think it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough. I might just have to stay at home. And actually, I've realised... Or just j- jump on the bandwagon. Yeah, I think I'm, I, I will do that. I usually do. But... Um, I've been finding that there have there are hardly any gigs on during football because everyone's just showing it, yeah, showing true. the football mm-hmm. rather than playing music. So um, it's been I've had quite a lot of trouble scouting around for gigs over the, for the next couple of weeks. But this one's pretty interesting. I'm going to play something inspired by an event happening at the Barbican on Friday the twentieth 
of June called In Dreams and it's uh, David Lynch revisited where musicians and singers are going to interpret the music from David Lynch's films which has always been very key and the soundtrack's really important in his films and obviously he's a musician as well so he, he's, he has composed some of the music on some of his films. So you'll get um, Connor O'Brien from The Villagers, Mick Harvey and Jenny Beth from Savages, Sibo Matto, Sophia Bruce, uh, Stealing Sheep and Stuart Staples from Tinder Sticks and they're all going to be interpreting something uh, by David Lynch so it sounds amazing um, so that's at the Barbican on Friday the 20th June and I'm going to play you Mysteries of Love from Blue Velvet interpreted by Connor O'Brien Sometimes the wind blows Thank you. 
that was The Mysteries of Love, interpreted by Connor O'Brien. And now it's the time in the show where we make the job of planning your cultural outings that little bit easier and hopefully more exciting. We've scoured high and low and even sideways and a little bit diagonally to find some of East London's best events this coming week. What's happening, guys? Obviously, we heard about World Cup um, pubs earlier, but again, we've got uh, our usual kind of array of arts and culture stuff now. So first up, we've got Sutton House, which is the oldest residential house in Hackney, a grade two listed Tudor mansion um, in in Homerton. You may well know it, but what you might not have known is that every Sunday you are welcome to go along for free and watch the historians there um, work and so you can see what it takes to restore and look after a historic building so you can kind of watch them at work as it were writing the funding applications (laughs) 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 I think there's a little bit more to it than that it's it's National Trust owned so they've got uh, you know their ways of of making sure that all the books and furniture is, is remains intact. Uh, so that's every Sunday, twelve till five. Next up is uh, something new to East London. It's called Photo Ruta, and it's um, they describe it as a sociable, fun, and affordable way to learn about photography and explore the city. So you have a street photography workshop, and then participants head out in small teams armed with a map pack and a set of clues, which lead them on a bit of a sort of treasure hunt journey of discovery around the area. Um, and then they, they capture the clues on camera and then they all reconvene at the end of the day with a glass of wine and some snacks and look through everyone's photos. So um, it was launched in Buenos Aires and they've, they've got branches in, in Chile, in Barcelona, um, in New York and so now it's just arrived in London. And when I was reading about it, I, I kind of thought, oh, maybe it's like a sort of thing to do for a Hindu and it's sort of wedding season now. So if you, you know, if, if you're responsible for organising a Hindu. I think this might be quite a sort of original and fun thing to do. What do you think? Mm. Well, we're also really saying that it might be a good date, although an expensive one, because it's not mm. cheap, is it? It depends on no, your budget. £50. Pounds £50? Pounds? Mm. But that is, I mean, photography classes in general are really expensive. Mm. Yeah, that's true. Plus you get, like, a sort of adventure and wine. Yeah, <laughs> and nibbles. And nibbles. Yes. <laughs> Everyone's just going for that. No, no not for the photography classes. <laughs> Um, well, you can actually go for this uh, thing that I'm going to tell you about now, which is cheap and sounds like an amazing date if you want to go for something that will be a bit alternative. It already started, actually. It started on the 13th. It's going to until the 20th, 25th of June. Uh, it's the East End Film Festival. Anyone excited about that? Yeah, I am very excited. Am. And we have had the organiser of the festival on the show last, last year. Last yes. year, I do remember that. But, um, of course... I need to tell you that there will be loads of um, premieres, national, nationwide and international. So, uh, worldwide, we have Dermaphoria and Hackney Finest. I went to see that one, actually. And it was really good. It's um, filmed in Hackney. It was dark humour, but loads of action. I really like that one. Um, but um, if you want to go for industry masterclasses, there will be some as well. And uh, art events kind of gro- live cross-site events and live and free that's exciting. I would just say grab the programme they ha- their programme is this kind of 
broadsheet paper it's everywhere in East London grab it have a look at what's on yes. avoid the football <laughs> yes just uh, if you if you want to have just a, an update on which venues are being um, will be screening and you know hosting events some of them will be the Red Gallery Hackney Picture House Genesis Cinema and East Village I think the, the free events are going to happen in East Village one more the Walthamstow Garden Party on the 26th and 27th of July um, so this is a special one-off free festival brought to you by um, Barbican among others and it's uh, the programme of events includes two days of cinema music theatre arts and crafts food and family activity and that's in Lloyd Park um, and the William Morris Gallery in Walthamstow and that's it well thank you for those fantastic listings I'm looking forward to some of those um, so you can visit us on Twitter at East Coast Show or on Facebook or on our website eastcastshow.com and we've got all the details for those listings up there and also um, for the gigs that Pearl has been mentioning throughout the show And of course, you can also find our World Cup Watch or Avoid pub guide for East London on there too. And if you think we've missed any pub, then just drop us a tweet and we'll we'll forward it on. Um, So we hope you've enjoyed the last hour of arts and culture shenanigans and great music. Speaking of which, Pearl, what's closing today's show? I've decided to play another David Lynch-inspired tune, um, actually by Angelo uh, Baldamenti, who has been responsible for a lot of the music on Lynch's films. So this is from the Mulholland Drive soundtrack, and it's quite representative of Lynch's sound. It's called Jitterbug. So thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.